Welcome to the party, pal. The Michael Duke Show. The greed and the entitlement is astounding to me. What more could you want from a low-budget radio program? This is a dumpster fire. That was just BS. It is time to get a new perspective. We know just what you need, and we've got just the cure. Open wide and prepare for a steaming hot cup of freedom. I just don't fathom it. The Michael Dukes Show, streaming live across the world. Live around the world on the internet at MichaelDukesShow.com. And across the state of Alaska and this, your favorite radio station and or FM translator. Good morning and welcome to Thursday uh, edition of The Michael Dukes Show. Hello. Hello, my friends. How are you this morning? Are you ready to face the day? It's just another, well... Just another beautiful day in paradise, and we are ready to go. Uh, Jam-packed show this morning. We are going to cover a bit of, uh, uh, we're going to cover a bit of uh, headlines and discussions and um, uh, some things here in the first segment this morning. And then uh, joining us here in just about, oh, 12 minutes, 15 minutes. We're going to be talking with Stephen Greenhut from Reason Magazine, who uh, is going to be joining. I, look, I'm on a bit of an education kick. We've been talking a lot about education, and I think I've finally decided to take the gloves off mentally uh, and just kind of go after this hammer and tong. He wrote a piece here uh, this week uh, talking about, uh, well, I guess, the, I guess it was Sunday, Saturday, Sunday, um, talking about... Uh, the investment in education in California and how despite the fact that they are spending enormous amounts of money on education in California, that uh, the test scores there continue to plummet, uh, just absolutely cratering uh, there in California after spending <laughs> 30 they they went into they they had a deficit spend this last year 32 billion dollars in education uh in a in a deficit it, it's just i mean it is absolutely astonishing how much they're spending uh on uh, on education in california a grand total uh the revised budget showed a total of 128.3 billion that's with a B, $128.3 billion to education, spending, I mean, well over what Alaska is spending on their students. And yet at the same time, oh, the test results, not great, man, not great. Of course, the answer, of course, is that uh, they they need to, they need to, uh, uh, you know, have more money. They're lagging. They say the teacher, the California teachers unions complaining that uh, the <clears throat> per student funding lags behind other states. Well, I mean, like what, like one or two other states? I mean, the amount that they're spending is just anyway, we're going to talk with Stephen Greenhut about this and uh, get his take on it. And uh, where does he think it goes from here, especially with the discussion about national enrollment dropping? That's not just an Alaskan problem. That's a that's a that's a 
problem nationwide. So we're going to talk about that uh, as well. Uh, in hour two, Kathy McCollum is going to be joining us. She is a candidate for uh, state school or for, excuse me, for Matsu School Board. Um, she is going to be coming on and talking with us about her candidacy, which, of course, you know, we had the walkout this last week and everything else. And you heard my commentary yesterday uh, about that um, and more. Uh, it's just astonishing that more and more. Um, <laughs> it's, you know, the fact that the the fact that we've got hundreds uh, of thousands of dollars being poured into local little tiny local podunk school board races around the country, but especially here in Alaska is uh, interesting. I guess interesting to say the least. So we'll talk with Kathy about her candidacy and her campaign and the upcoming vote on Tuesday. We're just we're just around the corner. Here, uh, just five days away from this all coming to coming to fruition, and uh, be back. Uh, Donna just corrected me. Alaska spends more per student than uh, than California does, which I I it's I thought I thought we spent just over twenty thousand, uh, but apparently uh, Donna's going to hit me with some math here in a minute, and we'll tell you exactly how much Alaska spends per student. Uh, I thought it was just north of 20,000 and the California beat us at 24, but Donna will help me out. Uh, she'll give me the actual number. I haven't seen it. I haven't seen an updated number in a while, so I, I'm very well uh, am probably wrong on that. All right. Um, so, but before we get there, let's start talking about, um, let's start talking about some of the stories that are around the state. Uh, let's see, we could talk about the seafood industry and the harvesting jobs declining, um, you know that there's this big showdown in Congress over the military holds for confirmations of uh, military officers. There's over 400 military officers who have not gotten their advancement uh, and confirmation in Congress because of uh, uh, Tommy Tuberville, who is the uh, Republican from Alabama. I don't know if you heard about that. Not that that really, I guess, again, it's national stuff. It doesn't really matter in the long run. Um, I guess we'll start over here. Uh, because, uh, because we can't for the second time in a week, Alaska state troopers have been involved in a deadly shooting up <clears throat> in the interior. Uh, the first shooting, uh, we talked about on Monday or on Tuesday, that was after a, uh, um, a man was seen carrying a rifle outside of the motel rooms at three bears in Toke. Uh, when troopers arrived, they confronted the man and he, I guess a firefight ensued and, uh, he was killed on the scene. Um, it was a, turned out to be a resident from Northway, uh, no real motivation as to why that happened. The second one, um, happened yesterday afternoon on the parks highway, uh, near Healy. Um, which is, for those of you who don't know, Healy's about two hours south of Fairbanks. The troopers began pursuing the man who was driving a pickup truck and ignored commands to stop. While heading northbound towards Fairbanks, he shot at the law enforcement. This sounds like a car ch This is like one of those Keystone Cop things where they shoot back out the window while they're being chased. Uh, he apparently shot at law enforcement officers following him. And in turn, the troopers and responding law enforcement returned fire. After coming to a stop, the officers and the driver continued exchanging gunfire, during which time the driver of the pickup shot was given the lead pill and uh, and and ended. 
Um, the troopers had the highway closed for over three hours and removed vehicles from the highway. They reopened the highway last night at about 5 p.m. But this is, I mean, you can't, you can't make this stuff up. I mean, it's just the, the world seems to become wilder and woolier by the minute when this kind of stuff happens. Um, and then you have this story. Now, remember the story back of a Delta Junction guy that was sentenced to, uh, to send some time in prison after he threatened Murkowski and Dan Sullivan? Do you remember that? I mean, that was kind of weird uh, because it just seemed like there was some, there was some instability there. <clears throat> well, now a man on the Kenai is facing federal charges after authorities said that he sent a message to a U.S. senator threatening to kidnap and harm her. Um, according to the affidavit, um, Arthur Charles Graham, 46, of Kenai, uh, was uh, remained, uh, remanded uh, in the Anchorage Correctional Complex. Um while the lawmaker he's accused of threatening is not named, U.S. Senator Lisa Murkowski is the only woman holding the position in Alaska. Uh, they would not confirm or deny whether she was the one that received the, the threat. But according to the affidavit written by a special agent with the Capitol Police, according to the ADN, congressional staff members uh, reported receiving the threatening message online and on October the 2nd. Uh, the message had been sent from Graham, who provided a Kenai address and an Alaska phone number. I mean, I, it, at some point you got to be like, okay, is this is this mental health or is this just a cry for? Uh, because apparently he said he was facing in the message. He said he was facing financial hardship and would soon be homeless. He then proceeded in the message to threaten the senator. So I mean, was this a cry for help? Or was this just a way to get three hots in a cot for the next couple years? I I can't really tell. I mean, you know, you're, you're sending a message on the congressional website. You're giving your name, your address, your phone number. And then you say, I'm going to hunt you down, cut the flesh off your body, and wear your, wear your skin like clothes. I mean, it sounds like he's quoting the silence of the lambs and wild, you know, Buffalo Bill, right? I mean, that's what it sounds like. But I, I and then, of course, he got interviewed by the FBI and he admitted to sending the email. I mean, it just seems to me like this is. I don't know. I mean, you got to take this kind of stuff in this day and age. You got to kind of take this stuff seriously. Not that, I mean, if he's almost homeless and facing financial hardship, it's not like he could fly out of state and go do this in Washington, D.C. But at the same time, you're like, not a criminal mastermind, right? Let me give you my name and my phone number and then threaten to skin you and wear your skin like clothes. I mean, it's <sighs> mental illness is real in this country, my friends. Uh, there's always got to be some other choice out there, but it seems like. The, the worst part was this wasn't the first time that this guy has been accused of sending threatening messages. Back in uh, 2019 and 2020, uh, Frank Parlato, who is a New York-based journalist, was doing his coverage, was doing coverage on the, uh, uh, the sex cult, NXIVM. I don't remember if you remember that whole thing. It was kind of a fringe deal. But anyway, he published several online posts. And uh, and had been a published journalist about it. And apparently Graham at that point 
had sent him a bunch of best messages and made baseless accusations about Alaskans that he thought were involved in the cult, which again, sound cuckoo, uh, and then targeted this journalist when he failed to follow up on those baseless accusations. And so Partello or Parlato had uh, shared the information with the Kenai police and everything else, and but no charges were ever filed. So I, <clears throat> sounds like this guy's been going downhill for a while. And people ask me why I go forth armed. I mean, people say, why, why would you need a, you know, why, why would you need a gun? Um, well, I, I'm just, I'm, I'm just, I'm glad. I'm glad that this is what I was, because people like that are out there. That is what is, uh, that is some crazy, crazy, crazy stuff. I mean, again, maybe he was just looking for three hots and a cot for the next two or three years because he was going to be homeless. But that's, uh, that's about it. Uh, again, it seems like the world is getting weirder and weirder as we proceed ahead. All right, uh, we are jumping ahead. Uh, we are expecting to hear from Stephen Greenhut from Reason Magazine. He should be up next. Um, and then Kathy McCollum in the final segment of the program, uh, final hour of the program this morning. We'll be back with more. The Michael Duke Show. Common Sense, Liberty-based, free thing and radio. the show you can listen to it on your time with dukes on demand oh and it's free like america used to be streaming live every weekday morning on facebook live and michaeldukeshow.com okay we are in the commercial break right now um as we continue to go forward i see that stephen greenhut just popped into the green room He's down there enjoying my virtual coffee and my virtual donuts in the virtual green room, of which I have taken all the calories out, so he has no guilt this morning. We're going to get to him here in just a hot second. Uh, Let me go back through, make sure I didn't miss anything important in the comments this morning, other than the correction from Donna, who uh, did correct me on the per-pupil spend in Alaska, uh, more than California uh, was. Um... David uh, then said, because she corrected me and said Alaska does spend more than California on a per-pupil basis, that David says per-student uh, per spending depends upon the source, and uh, I still don't see an answer. So, David, if you want to hit me with that number, because like I said, the last one that I saw was just slightly over $20,000 per student, and Stephen Greenhut's reporting that it was twenty four in California. So if you want to tell me from all sources what the n- new number is, uh, I'd love to hear it. I'm curious. I'm curious as to where we fall. But the fact that they spent $128 billion on education is, um, you know, staggering. Staggering um, on that. All right. Anything else? Uh, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm ironically entertained by the fact that young people in the state are saying that there's no employment to be had. Meanwhile, skin suit guy had apparently managed to keep something locked down until this point. 
No, look, I mean, they, anybody that uh, 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 that unironically says there's just nothing to do in this state has not even bothered to step outside their door at this point. Um, Stephen says, uh, oh, Stephen Greenhut just hit me with a private message, says depends if they include federal or local bond spending as well. So, see, we're going to we're going to get some good stuff from him. Let's go check him out, shall we? He's sitting over there. He's probably run out of donuts by now. Let's uh, let's go over there and check it out. Stephen Greenhut joins us this morning uh, from Reason Magazine uh, to talk about all the good stuff. Come on. What's going on here? I can see his uh, video in the green room, but I can't see him. Uh, what's going on? Good morning. Are you there? Yes. Can you hear me? I can hear you. I can see. Uh, did you turn your video off for some reason? I could see. No, your... my, video, my video's on. Uh, let me. Uh, there's the stop cam. Now the cam's on. It's weird. And, uh, it's weird. I can see your image in the green room slide, but I can't see it up here on the main screen. Um, yeah. That's weird, man. Um, I don't know. I uh, And my computer, uh, my um the video works fine on it, so I don't know what's going on. I'm sorry. Um, Let me remove uh, you. Let me remove you and put you back on uh, back on the screen here again. We'll try it again here and see if we can get you back up on the stage. Mm, no, that's okay. All right. Well, uh, we don't necessarily have to have it here uh, unless you want to try and rejoin again and click the link again. We could do that. That'd be the last choice. Otherwise. Yeah. I can do that. Let me do that. I'll be be right back. All right. Thanks so much. All right. Stephen Greenhut uh, on the thing. All right. Um, I was born into darkness. You merely adopted it. I was born into... Uh, anyway. Um, all right. Let's, uh, let's get... I'm going to add him to the stage right now because he's there. Hey, look at that. Hey, that really helps, right? Yeah, exactly. There's a face <laughs> there. That's okay. Yeah. Anthony just a said... a bald guy sitting in... Uh, <laughs> Here's what Anthony said. Sitting in his office. Stephen is all like, I was born into darkness. You were merely adopting it. He's like, you know, <laughs> you're calling out from the dark room. Um, all right, Stephen. Well, we are about uh, 50 seconds out from returning to the radio. Uh, I appreciate you coming on board. And thank you for your quick response on that. Uh, it took a couple days for Chris Mitchell from Reason to get back to me, uh, uh, and I'm oh. glad you did. This is a this is a great article. We've been hot and heavy on education on this program for about the last two months, and because uh, I'm about had it up to here with some of the fallacies and lies and stuff we're hearing. So, um, oh. it, it it'll be interesting. They're trying right now to increase education spend in this state to a tremendous amount, uh, claiming that we haven't increased education spending when we just Anyway, uh, I'll, it's a whole story. Well, you guys, uh, I mean, you're in Anchorage, right? Or I'm outside of Anchorage, uh, but this show broadcasts across the whole state. Uh, and so we're covering the whole state here. We're 10 seconds out. Hold the line. We're going to jump into it. Here yeah. we go. Stephen Greenhut, Reason Magazine. Like and share. Like and follow. Do all the YouTube things and Facebook things. Here we go. Let's do it. Public anima number one. Oh, wait, sorry. Uh, enemy. Public enemy number one, which uh, makes more sense. On the other hand, he's a little bit of a pain in the, uh, Michael Duke show. Those are total lies. I am a perfect angel. Absolutely a perfect angel. I would never be a pain in anything. Welcome back to the program, the Michael Duke Show, broadcasting across the state of Alaska on this your favorite radio station and or FM translator. We're continuing this morning now. Our guest, speaking with him for the first time, although I've been following his work for quite a while, Stephen Greenhut, 
who writes uh, on occasion uh, for uh, Reason Magazine, uh, joins us this morning to talk about uh, California and test scores and everything else. He is the regional director, Western Region Director for the R Street Institute uh, and uh, worked for the Tribune as well. Uh, his latest article entitled uh, Test Scores Are Plummeting Despite California Spending Wildly on Education caught my attention and he joins us now to discuss um uh, yep again publishing for reason um occasionally i guess i should say he's with reason but that's where most of my exposure comes from uh so steven i guess yeah tell us a little bit about yourself what you do with the r street institute does and things like that uh and then we'll jump deep down into the article and get uh, get into some facts and some details here good morning and let's get started okay thanks yeah i'm a western director for r street institute we're a free market think tank i'm based in sacramento I write uh, I write for a variety of publications, including the Southern California News Group. So, uh, yeah, so education is, uh, you know, just one of the normal topics. And I uh, found it kind of frustrating that our state doesn't ever seem to look at outcomes. We only look at how much we spend as if the more you spend is uh, is is the mark of uh, accomplishing anything. Right. <laughs> That's the winning metric. As long as we're spending a lot, we're winning. It doesn't matter what the outcome is. As long as we're spending, we're winning. Right. And that was, you know, that's kind of I had done some uh, home remodeling and I was just kind of uh, making the comparison that, you know, I don't look at how much I spend. I look at how many projects I get for the money and uh, whether it improves things, not whether I uh, emptied the bank account uh, and didn't get what I wanted, right? <laughs> it's the end result. That's right. what normal people do. Exactly. No, it's it's interesting to uh, it's interesting to see. We've been on this topic, and I've been talking about this topic in education for you know going on twenty years here on the program. Um, but the 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 that that is the consistent problem. The problem is always. Uh, or the this the the answer is always, oh, we've got a problem in educational outcomes. What we need is more money, and it doesn't matter how much money we throw at it. The answer, even as the outcomes continue to decline or remain stagnant or whatever, is more money. It just becomes the mantra that that's you know that's the issue. Nobody is willing to admit that we have that there's something fundamentally flawed in the current educational system across the country. I mean, this is a problem that's national in scope, although it drills down into the local communities and at the state levels. The problem is, is that it is national in scope in that there's something fundamentally wrong. And nobody seems to be willing to admit that. The answer is always, well, if we had enough money, we could make it work. Uh, I mean, how much is enough? Right. I mean, you know, the it's like the... Uh... Uh, one of the teacher union presidents uh, famously or p possibly said uh, when asked what it is, what it is, what do you ultimately want? And his answer was more. And that's just the, the that's always more. And it's driven, you know, in California, probably less so in Alaska, but in California, it's driven by the teachers union. Very powerful, <laughs> perhaps, the, perhaps the most powerful interest group in the state oh. capital. And and um, they don't allow now. California did have a pretty uh, aggressive uh, charter school program starting years ago. That's been rather successful. Our recent governor has been uh, reducing um, the ability of charters to expand. And charters, of course, are public publicly funded schools. They're not true competition. 
but they have been a uh, you know an out for especially poor students in some of the the absolute worst performing uh, schools in the state because it's basically impossible to fire a teacher. I mean, we had something. Uh, the LA Times had done a series about rubber rooms and how they have these, uh, they call them rubber rooms, these uh, classrooms where teachers who've been deemed unfit to teach uh, just sit there and spend their days doing nothing. Now, you know, in the private sector, if we had teachers, and a lot of them were accused of, uh, you know, pretty bad behavior, um, I don't think many private sector companies would continue to exist if they, they took their worst uh, performers and stuck them in a room and pay them their full salary and benefits. Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, I just don't. Yeah, exactly. And oh, my poor, poor summer child, Stephen Greenhut. If you think that the teachers unions do not influence what happens in Alaska, man. Um, now, granted, well, I didn't say that. Uh, I just didn't, I the, didn't imagine to, that they'd be worse than they are here. Yeah, to the level of California. I mean, let, let's go back and this your article doesn't cover this, but let's go back for just a moment to the uh, just post, you know, the not post, but mid pandemic when it was, uh, you know, 2021. The pandemic's been there for a year, everything else. And schools are opening up across the country. And the California Teachers Union says we're not going to open. Not for safety, not for anything else, but until we get social justice, until we get equitable spread of monetary wealth. And I mean, they had some of the had stuff that had nothing to do with child education. And they were basically holding the entire state of California hostage over these things. Um, It just it really I think for the first time, a lot of people's eyes were opened into the fact that it really wasn't all about the kids. As they kept telling you, it was more about politics, power, and social justice, right? Well, right. I, I wrote quite a few editorials with oh, different, yeah. different unions at the time. Uh, yeah. Oh, of course, of course, Michael, we want to reopen, but we just can't until these following demands are met. And it was all, or not all of it, but a lot of it was just uh, had nothing whatsoever to do with the pandemic. And um, I remember especially the uh, L.A. Unified School District was it, it, it was was resisting. The unions were uh, UTLA were resisting reopenings and and not to mention that when they switched to at home learning, um, the, the public schools, they, they just fumbled it. They couldn't they couldn't handle it. The, right. the kind of uh, where the, the charter schools and the private schools just, you know, they just uh, rolled with with it right uh, as bad as the whole situation was but they were at least able to provide some level of of teaching where the public schools i mean you had teachers who they couldn't even get their computers to work not that i should talk i couldn't get mine to work here in the morning but <laughs> but it just was a complete absolute message and and then we find out that big shock uh many california students are just disappearing since uh the absentee rates are are incredibly high, almost a third in some school districts, and that um, the modest educational performance gains that we've gotten over the last few years have all been rolled back since COVID. Uh, well, big shock, right? Well, yeah, and they were rolled back several years. In fact, uh, they said uh, some some studies across the country and in some specific states, they've rolled back like six or seven years worth of educational yeah. gains in a single year. 
Um, and as you said, statistically, school districts, regular brick-and-mortar school districts were having a horrible time with the whole COVID distance education and everything else. The adaptable districts, the homeschooling components, the charter schools, the private schools, they all just went like, Okay. And they just, I mean, they continued to make it out. Uh, And I think that was an eye-opening thing. And speaking of eye-opening and people coming around, you quote a a state senator, uh, a Democrat in California, who even said, I think, you know, I mean, even some of them are coming around to the fact that, uh, again, saying what I just said, that basically there's something fundamentally broken here and we've got to fix it. Uh, Senator Stephen Glazer, Uh, and his comments on what's going on with the educational system. Can you hear me, Stephen? Well, I'll correct you. I'll say, oh, yeah, yeah, maybe not some of them, but one of them anyway, right? exactly. So uh, it's, there just haven't been enough to, uh, to bring up that point, at least not publicly. I mean, some of them will say these things privately, but uh, not publicly. So, um, yeah, it's now now Alaska. I mean, I my daughter used to live in Eagle River, and I remember uh, that Alaska has an interesting kind of homeschooling approach, right? The way they fund homeschooling, which uh, is isn't that kind of a, a promising model? I, I don't know much about it. I just uh, well, let me let me let me break it down for you for just a second and educate you. My uh, youngest child just graduated last year. My youngest of five, and we homeschooled all five of our children, and we utilized a program uh, that was put out by the Galena City School District called IDEA, the Distance Education Interior Distance Education Association. And it is, Alaska has a very unique model for homeschooling. They allow school districts to basically enroll students from anywhere in the state to receive a small portion of state funding. And it is a fraction. It's like 20%, 25% of what brick and mortar students would get uh, to do their education. They have contact teachers for each student that the parents can call or have the kids help with and everything else. And it's an amazing system. And in fact, it has exploded over the in fact we were the first, our oldest daughter was in the first group of students when the when the whole thing was founded and again my fifth child just graduated so we're at 20 year span we've been utilizing that program and it is amazing um and in fact it spawned a whole bunch of copycat type programs around the around the state which i mean we're all happy with but their growth uh, all of these different organizations has just exploded and especially post pandemic um, that was the thing that was interesting to me that when the pandemic happened and they shut down all the schools and they started to try to do this distance thing um, and the school districts just fumbled the ball, these other organizations who have been doing remote and distance and telephone and, you know, Zoom meeting uh, helps with kids and everything else, there was no different for them. And their uh, enrollment just exploded. Uh, and like I said, I think many parents' eyes were opened. Um, about how they've been sold a bill of goods, right, Stephen? I mean, they've been told how many how many parents have been told for years, oh, homeschooling is hard. That's a that's a huge commitment, and it's so hard, and you should just you know leave it to the professionals. And all of a sudden, most people found out because through they they had to, they discovered it wasn't as hard as they thought it was. Yeah, it's it's amazing, and our state uh, under the latest governor has been trying to shut down or vastly limit online charters, you know. So the ones that know how to do these things the best, they're the ones they're uh, they're pushing out. 
So um, our previous governor, Jerry Brown, was was extremely good on on home, on charter schools and these sorts of things. Right. But the latest governor is not. Well, it's it's protectionism. Right. I mean, you basically have politicos who are out there essentially protecting the education industrial complex, which is what it is. You've got uh, professionals in education in the unions and everything else. They're driving the bus. It's not the outcomes of the students that's driving the bus. It is what do these people who are in power and who receive money and who are benefiting from the educational expenditures and systems, they're the ones that are that that's what matters to them is what happens there, not necessarily the out outcome of the students. Right. And they um, yeah. And this constant push for uh, for additional uh, local uh, local bond measures, um, you know, the parents always get they, they get a dilemma. Right. So they they'll realize that they're not getting the education that that they want. And they know that there's nothing's going to change the system entirely. So they're asked to spend more money and often they'll vote for it. Right. They'll figure, well, you know, what, what are you going to do? It's um, and then they they get you know, they just get more spending without any outcomes. I mean, our, I, I just anecdotally driving by our local school, we had a perfectly nice looking school building and the bond was passed. And now we have a palatial school building. But I wonder uh, to what degree the educational outcomes have improved because of that very architecturally lovely building that we now have in the middle of a farm field. Right. Well, we, we've seen that around. The, it's the same thing has happened here in Alaska. We had one community that had a building that was that was it was a school building that they were still paying previous bonds on. It was still adequate. It needed some updates. It needed some capital improvements. And they voted instead to tear it down, to put a new bond in and build a whole new school while they were still paying bonds on the building that they just demolished. Um, it becomes, again, a jobs program not just for the educational industry, but also for the construction industry. I mean, this is a, it's a hand-in-glove thing of all this crony capitalism and everything else going on. That's what we're seeing at every level, where they're working hand-in-glove together. And again, the people who are hurt the most by this are the children. Right. I've, cover, I've covered school bonds where... Um, like one in Orange County where they uh, they promise X number, I forget the exact number, but all these new schools and all these new classrooms. And then they the voters pass the bond and then they immediately hand out a project labor agreement, which eliminates uh, non-union labor from the uh, construction process. So that immediately reduces by around 25% the amount of construction that they're going to get. And then they end up after the end of a few years of producing a portion of what they promised on the bond measure. So then, of course, I guess you need a new bond measure. Yeah, again, it is a self-licking ice cream cone. A uh, You know, it is a self-reinforcing feedback loop of pain, essentially, when it comes down to it. Stephen Greenhut is our guest. Uh, he is with the uh, R Street uh uh, R Street Institute, and we're going to continue to uh, uh, talk with him about California and their spending and how there's a lot of similarities. I mean, not just in Alaska, but across the country. This is happening. California is like the the big culprit, but it seems like every state around the country is basically facing the same thing, where the teachers unions are influencing the, the industrial, the, te the education industry is basically making some uh, amazing inroads into the educational systems and consuming a ton of money 
with very little results. We're going to be back more with Stephen Greenhut in just a moment. The Michael Duke Show, common sense, liberty based, free thinking radio. Running on 100% pure beard power. Oh, also some coffee. We dip our beard in coffee. Ha, <laughs> nice beard. The Michael Duke Show. Continuing now with Stephen Greenhut uh, here on the program as we go into the commercial break. Uh, your daughter used to live at Eagle River. Uh and yep. yeah so did you get a chance to come up and visit her up here while she was up here i did it was uh lovely i mean it's uh, a little colder than i'm used to but uh it's just, <laughs> yeah it was very beautiful uh people were wonderful um yeah it was uh it was great yeah i like it up there yeah no it's uh you know it's a great place to live and we've got a lot of there's a lot of things going for us of course we don't have the california sunshine and warm weather but uh we got a lot of other things that are still pretty good and at least we're not living in a state where they're basically milking the teat so hard that everybody's leaving uh i guess is uh, is is the the best part of that right now but we have a lot of the same problems Stephen. a lot of the same problems and this educational thing is just another one it'd be fascinating for you to look into what's happened here in the state we're in this last uh, legislative cycle um the number one priority from uh the democratic uh minority in the house and the coalition moderate democratic coalition in the senate was we need to spend more on education because and here was the narrative we haven't increased education spending in the last I don't know, seven years or 10 years or whatever it was. And of course, they were just talking about the base student allocation, which is the formula driven uh, component. It had gone up 4%, but because they said it wasn't keeping up with inflation, they basically ran with the narrative of, well, you haven't increased education spend at all. That's And the newspapers, with no accurate thought, with no analytical, they didn't even look into it, when in fact, we've increased education spending by almost 30% in the last 15 years, uh, because they don't talk about the forward funding or the outside the thing or all these other things that are going on. But people buy into that. They, I mean, and that's the thing. People buy into it. The pandemic did open some eyes, but I think this is, again, a common mantra around the country. Yeah, and a lot of times, and and people in my uh, business, the newspaper business, very rarely look deeply at the numbers, right? They uh, don't look at wh- where has that money gone to. Uh, that incre- they, the increase often it goes to administration. Some of that is driven by the federal government, but a lot of that, very little of that money will, in some cases, ever make it to the classroom. And um, you know, we had we had an eye opening. Um, court case it's been a few years now called the vergara decision it was um it was down in la county and uh the judge tossed our system of uh union uh, work protections tenure um uh seniority uh and pointed out that it protects a, a percentage of, of of basically incompetent teachers right and it and it included the numbers of what that means how many students are are, are harmed by these, uh, I forget the term they use, but, you know, teachers who really ought not to be teaching. And of course, it, it was kind of shocking and eye-opening. 
Uh, but then, you know, the higher courts ended up uh, expectedly overturning that decision. Um, but uh, once in a while, uh, you know, a little flower blooms and people get a <laughs> get a view. Right. And, and COVID's another case where a lot of parents say, hey, wow, our schools really aren't as good as we thought. Um, a, a colleague of mine, a friend from uh, the Pacific Research Institute, I remember he wrote a book, Lance Azumi. He wrote a book called Not As Good As You Think. And he focused on the good schools, not on the on the terrible ones, because most people are like um, their view of their schools. They think their schools are good and everyone else's schools are bad. It's kind of how they think about their members of Congress. They hate Congress. Congress is is a total clown show. But I like my member. He stands up for us. Right. So right. same thing with, with the school. But anyway, he found that the uh, the good middle class schools really aren't as good as we think. Right. And and. The point point I made in the column was if we use that money in California, twenty four thousand dollars a student a year at six hundred thousand dollars a classroom a year. Could you imagine what a private company could do uh, with that kind of money? I mean, yeah. it would be. Oh, yeah. It, you know, it would really reimagine the education system rather than, you know, Gavin Newsom always talks about reimagining the education system. Well, we wouldn't have to imagine it anymore. It would be uh, it would be dramatically changed. Well, this, right? Yeah, this is a prime example of the inefficiency of government. We know government. I mean, historically, you just look back at the track record. They are horribly inefficient with many of these things. And as you said, most of this money is going into overhead. It's going into teachers and, or to uh, administrators and janitors and classrooms and buildings and maintenance and all this other kind of stuff. Just think, $24,000 per student in a classroom of 20 or 25. I mean, show me a, a private school that wouldn't do extremely extraordinarily well for your student at 20 or $24,000 per student every year. Tell me, you know, tell me that the outcomes wouldn't change on that. Um, it's, it's, uh, truly astonishing. All right. That's the 32nd warning. We're getting ready to rejoin the radio here. Uh, Stephen Greenhut is our guest, uh, guest with the R street Institute, a free market think tank. He also writes for a variety of papers. I follow him on reason. That's why I said from reason. Uh, but I follow him there. Uh, you could check this out, uh, and we'll get his website before we go too far along here. Uh, let's jump back into it. The Michael Duke show. Common sense, liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Like, share, follow. Here we go. That's it. The Michael Duke Show. Not your daddy. Wait, sorry. Not your daddy? Ooh, not your daddy's talk radio. Huh. Whew. I was scared for a second and thought we were going down. Here's Michael Dukes and the show. Yep. Uh, not your daddy's talk radio, the Michael Duke Show, broadcasting live across the state of Alaska, this favorite radio station and or FM translator, also out on the internet at michaeldukeshow.com, where you'll find links to Facebook, YouTube, Twitch, where we simulcast the show and the audio-only live stream. Our guest this morning, Stephen Greenhunt, uh, Greenhunt with the uh, R Street Institute, which is a free market think tank. Uh, he also writes for a variety of papers in the western half of the U.S. and also is a contributor to Reason Magazine, where I picked up his latest article entitled, Test Scores Are Plummeting Despite California Spending Wildly on Education. And boy, howdy, are they spending wildly, uh, Stephen. I saw the quote in here, the total revised budget on education for this last year in California, 
$128.3 billion for education, which translates from all sources to about $24,000 per student. And you and I were just talking about in a classroom of, you know, 20, 25 kids, you know, it's 600000 bucks a year. Uh, show me a, a you know show me a private school that couldn't do well with a student who had twenty to twenty four thousand dollars worth of tuition every year, uh, and couldn't get it done. Uh, and that's that's an amazing number, and and it just keeps going up, right? Yeah, I mean, imagine you know even half of that, right? I mean, it's just uh, it's just they, we would have excellent education. Uh, parents would be able to choose the type of schools that best serve their kids. Uh, because, you know, it's kind of a factory model or a current school system. And that number, you know, people, the, the teachers unions, they pitch a lower number, but I, I don't believe they're including all the many different sources of funding from the feds and from the um, uh, from local bonds. But one thing nobody includes is the unfunded pension liabilities. The California State Teachers Retirement System, uh, I last time I checked was like 70% funded. So that extra 30% ultimately would be borne by taxpayers. Uh, that's the uh, unfunded pension liability, uh, the amount of money that's owed to pay for the rather generous pensions uh, that teachers uh, teachers receive based on a formula rather than, you know, a 401k. So basically the whole system you know, it's just designed to serve the people who work for the system. It sounds really cynical, but that seems to that is how it's designed. That's right. That's who writes the laws. Right. And yeah. I remember I was writing about city governments and one city manager said that um, California cities are basically pension providers that provide a few public services on the side. And maybe if we start looking at the school system that way, they're essentially uh, uh, employment operations. Right. Uh, and construction operations that provide a little education on the side. Yeah. Well, and we see the cost of personnel, of course, is always the largest cost sector of any business mm -hmm. or government. Uh, and especially in government pensions here in Alaska, we had a defined benefits plan like California did uh, that was, I mean, it was up underwater to the tune of $12 billion in a state with 500, 600,000 people, $12 billion. They finally changed from the defined benefits to a, to a defined contributions plan, a 401k style plan. And we've whittled it down, but they, I mean, they did that. That was almost 20 years ago that they made the change and we're still $7 billion in the hole on that pension plan. So, I mean, I can't imagine what California, how they're ever going to get out from underneath that burden. It's, it's, it's astonishing uh, when you think it's about just, the dollars that are involved. It's the senior uh, debt. So uh, whatever, if everything collapses, they get paid first. And if you look at uh, their websites like Transparent California that show um, – you know, just show the kind of pay and pensions that our public employees receive. It really boggles your mind. I mean, uh, especially in in the law enforcement area, you've got when you include the the pensions, you've got police sergeants making six, seven hundred thousand dollars a year, and not just a handful of them. I mean, four, five, six hundred thousand. I mean, it's crazy. And the teachers aren't earning that kind of money, but um, still, the the goal should be the outcome of the service not the how much we pay right. uh, you know, the people who provide it. Well, and that seems to be the theme of your article. The theme of your article essentially is, if I want to distill it down, is we're never, we're never 
facing or looking at the outcomes. We're always looking at the journey. Who's getting paid on the journey? Who's getting taken care of? All this other kind of stuff. The outcome, I mean, if this was a if this was a manufacturing business, would be, you know, the widget, the product. What is the product? Is the product good? Is it standard? Is it subpar? Is it excellent? They're never looking at the outcome of the product because right now the product is subpar. You talk about the testing scores in California where it's what, 30, uh, what was the number? 35% of low-income Income students met the English language standards, and only 21% met the math proficiency standards. We're facing the same th- in Alaska. We're in 49th out of 50th, 48th and 49th out of 50th on math and reading, and yet we spend almost as much as California, if not a little more, according to some uh, some of the folks here uh, uh, that are correcting me in the chat room. But I mean, it, it nobody's looking at the outcomes, and then you mentioned. Uh, which I think is very important because I think this is going to factor in into the future. You mentioned absenteeism and the declining enrollment. So t- talk to me a little bit about that. Yeah, since COVID, I mean, absentee rates have gone through the roof. So they don't even know where these students are. I mean, they're just not even coming to school anymore, right? So, um, and then our our uh, enrollments are, you know, we're an aging population. As you mentioned earlier, a lot of people are leaving California. We're not a growing state anymore, which is a little bit shocking. I got here like 25 years ago and endless growth in population was just assumed. And it is, by the way, uh, a be- it's still a beautiful state. So I'm not one of these folks who's bashing on my home state and encouraging people to leave. But uh, you know, people are leaving for, you know, less beautiful states and pe- places without palm trees and, and yeah. nice weather. <laughs> so yeah. anyway, uh, like our, our Congressman Tom McClintock used to he talk about, uh, you know, if people f- think their future is better in the Nevada desert than along the San Diego coast, that tells you something about public policy. Right. Well, so, you, you don't have to bash on your state, Stephen. The state is doing enough on its own to drive people away to, you know, Idaho, Montana, California, Texas. I mean, those oh, are, you know, sure. yeah, I mean, those are all happening. And I, I don't blame people for leaving either. And I'm just saying there, there's a certain element of people who are, oh, California is horrible. It isn't a nightmare. It's just a beautiful state. That is being driven. It's driving people away because of its horrendous public policy, and yeah. uh, in, in basically any area that we want to discuss. Uh, but on education, we're so we're having a dec- our our enrollments are declining. Our population's aging. Fewer immigrants are coming here now. Um, so they're still getting more money in a climate where you're getting more, fewer customers. Right. So you compared it to a widget factory. If it was a widget factory, it would have moved to. Uh, Mexico or Thailand are shut down a long time ago, but um, the fact is that we're uh, we have fewer customers. Yeah, and yet um, the the push still is for more money, right? Right. Well, and this is what's going to continue because of a variety of factors, including the declining birth rate, as you said, the aging population, the boomer generation retiring and, you know, this new thing, they're not having kids as much, plus the pandemic and people seeing that there were other ideas. There's been an explosion. It was a 27 percent growth in homeschooling and other alternative forms of education post COVID. Those things, I think, are going to continue to accelerate and you're just going to see that decline continue. So the question is, in the last two minutes, here. What's going to happen to these school systems and the education industry when they don't have enough students to maintain what they have right now and they continue to ask for more? What's eventually going to happen to those that are, uh, you know, kids that are left remaining? 
That's a good question. I quoted a uh, report from uh, from academia looking at uh, bemoaning the situation of schools that still have to pay for their infrastructure, for their buildings, for their teachers um, as the, uh, you know, as the student population dwindles. Well, why do we need those schools? Right. I mean, that's the. Uh, the issue shouldn't be maintaining a, 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 a stucco building and keeping the full staff size when you don't have customers. So we're going to have to come up with a new system if we're serious about uh, educating students properly and not just maintaining uh, the ongoing system as it was designed. And I don't know what's going to spark that, right. but I have seen, you know, some you, you, you don't know. I mean, things could uh, could change. And uh, we just have to change our thinking. You just heard, you just heard a large scream out of California when he said that that we might have to close some of our schools because there's not enough students. And you just heard a scream somewhere <laughs> in the background when he said that. Stephen Greenhut, the R Street Institute, uh, also again contributor for Reason Magazine and more. Stephen, thanks for coming on board this morning. I appreciate you being part of it. Yeah, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Hold the line just a second here, folks. We're out of time. Kathy McCollum is our guest. Up next, the Michael Duke Show. Well, I wanted to ask Steve one more question, but he decided to leave. Okay, well, we appreciate him being on the program. All right, folks. Um, let me go back over here. Um, <laughs> just, I'm trying to figure out what Jeannie's trying to say here. Um, he said you've got, he said that you've got tons of law enforcement pulling down multiple hundreds of thousands of dollars a year in retirement. Jeannie says, but teachers don't have hundreds of hours of expensive training, uniforms, firearms, health insurance, etc. I, I, with all due respect, Jeannie, I would disagree. They do have hundreds of hours of expensive training that they have to, ongoing education, continuing ed. They do have to have, you know, they buy, had to do stuff for the, uh, again, I, <clears throat> any, if you're pulling down a hundred thousand dollars a year in retirement, um, that's probably not the norm for most people. And he said it was people that were pulling down three or $400,000 a year in retirement. But I mean, I guess I digress. Anthony has a counterpoint for his whole argument about how California is so beautiful and Anthony says, sure, California is a beautiful state. Who doesn't love rolling homeless camps, poop on the sidewalks with some of the worst taxation imaginable? It's a freaking paradise, I tell you. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's that's where I want to live right after I go to hell. I mean, um, <clears throat> anyway, um, we're going to jump in here. Uh, let's see. Uh, thank you, Steve. You aren't as scary as, my, as I thought, said Brian. Apparently, Brian thought Steve was going to be scary. Um... Uh, going back over here. Um, uh, uh, Donna, I'm sorry I didn't see your comment. I would have asked him if I had had a chance here after the break, but he, he hung up. I lived in Sacramento in 2004. I wouldn't want to live there now because of government and crime. What does, why does Steven stay? I mean, that's my... Of course, you know my position on this whole thing. My position essentially is... Um, if I can't have if I can't have my firearms and be able to protect myself, why would I bother to be anywhere? I, nobody, as far as I'm concerned, anybody that wants to live in the People's Republic of California, 
may need a de- may need a checkup from the neck up. You know what I mean? Uh, you got to have a little bit of freedom and free thought and everything. That's not encouraged in California. Um, all right. <clears throat> we are uh, about uh, three and a half minutes here from rejoining and uh, starting hour two of the program. I see that Kathy McCullum is in my green room right now. She is enjoying my virtual coffee and my virtual donuts. Um, just leave me one with sprinkles on it, Kathy. That's all I'm saying. Just leave the one. But there's no calories in any of those donuts. You have zero guilt. If you want to eat the rest of the plate, you feel free to do so. Um, looking through any other comments here uh, that were made uh, that were good. Um, the education system is like a gas station. You could make it as big as you want, add hundreds of pumps and all the accoutrements. But if the tanks underground are full of dirty gas, nothing that pulls off that beautiful lot is ever going to run right. Wow, that's that's uh, strangely poetic, Anthony. And and a hundred percent accurate. A hundred percent accurate. No matter how much dressing, set dressing you put on the schools or how beautiful you make them or everything else, if people continue to fail to look at the outcomes of the students, it doesn't matter how palatial or how beautiful the building is. It doesn't matter how, you know, how good they made the kids feel about themselves or about anything else. If the kids can't read a freaking book when they leave without help, if they can't do a simple you know, math problem without help. If 60% of those that graduate have to have remedial education to be able to take a basic 100-level math class in college, we're failing. We're failing. I mean, I, just, I don't know how to put it any other way. Fail. Fail. <clears throat> Reason number 637 why I homeschooled all five of my kids. Um. All right. Um, comments have to be good now. What? Um, let's, uh, let's do it. Here we go. Let's go check in with Kathy. I'm sorry. I, I kind of filibustered there for a minute. Let's go check in with Kathy. We'll check her audio, make sure everything's good. Make sure her camera works this morning. Mike Stevens. Let's go over here and see what she has to say. Hey, look, there she is right there. Uh, Kathy McCollum, our guest, uh, joins us this morning. Good morning, Kathy. How are you? Good morning. I'm wonderful. How are you today? You know, I cannot complain. Nobody listens anyway, so what does it matter? Uh, anyway, welcome to the program, and thanks for joining us. You ready to dive into this madness uh, on the show here? I'm ready. Okay. I'm ready. Good. Well, I imagine you're probably ready for this madness to be over by Tuesday. We'll see. We'll see what happens. It's been a, it's been a hot mess. You know, I can. I I was saying earlier, uh, in the program a couple of weeks ago, said I said I think over my 25 year career on radio, I've probably interviewed two, maybe three school board members prior to this election cycle. Because again, the the they're just the smallest little, you know, that really but boy, I tell you, this uh, this cycle, I've I've already interviewed more school board uh, candidates this year than I think I have in the previous 25 years because all of a sudden these races seem to matter. We're, we'll talk about that here. I don't want to get ahead of ourselves, but yeah. I appreciate you coming on board. So I'm going to pop you back in the green room, uh, have another donut, and we'll be, okay. uh, we'll be we'll be back with you here in just a hot, 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 hot second. Uh, Kathy McCollum, uh, our guest, uh, the Michael Duke Show. Um, thank you, uh, MD, for having Kathy on the show. Well, thank, uh, again, I think, uh, thank uh, you or Lynn McCabe called me yesterday and got this set up because I had left a message or sent an email from Kathy's website and hadn't heard back from anybody. So somebody finally got the, they made the connection. So I appreciate that. 
So it's uh, it's a good stuff. All right, here we go. We're jumping into it. The Michael Luke Show, Common Sense Radio, Hour 2 is dead ahead. Like, share, follow. Do it now. I command it. Or ask politely. Let's do it. Here we go. Put that thing back in its holster. We haven't gone anywhere. I don't understand. Check out the MichaelDukesShow.com for information on how to get access to the podcast. Welcome to the party, pal. The, the Michael Dukes Show. The greed and the entitlement is astounding to me. What more could you want from a low-budget radio program? This is a dumpster fire. That was just BS. It is time to get a new perspective. We know just what you need, and we've got just the cure. Open wide and prepare for a steaming hot cup of freedom. I just don't fathom it. The Michael Dukes Show, streaming live across the world. Yep, across the world on the interwebs at MichaelDukeShow.com, where you'll find links to the audio-only live stream, links to the podcast, which is available on iTunes, Google Play, CastBox, Stitcher, and, of course, Spotify, and uh, all the links to our social media sites that we where we simulcast the show, Facebook, YouTube, and Twitch. And, of course... Broadcasting live across the state of Alaska on this, your favorite radio station and or FM translator. Hello and good morning, my friends. Welcome to Hour 2 of the program. You just missed Stephen Greenhut from the R Street Institute and a contributor to Reason Magazine. He was talking about what California is spending on education, which makes us look like pikers in many ways, um, and how they're still miserably failing, uh, which, again, has been the theme of the program here for the last couple of months as we've been talking about this. Education is a huge component of every government in the country. Alaska is no different. It is the largest uh, it is the it is the largest uh, cost sector in most communities and a big one in the state. Uh, and we've got to find a way to get a control of this thing. Uh, and, of course, one of the uh, we, we talk about being grassroots on this program a lot. And one of the lowest parts of that grassroots, you know, working from the ground up is our local school boards. And school boards seem to be the new point of focus for many organizations, specifically teachers unions and other progressive uh, institutions who are now pouring tens of thousands of dollars into local school board. You know, a school board race used to cost you a couple thousand dollars to run for a school board race. Now it's 10, 20, 30, 40, 50,000 dollars to run for a school board seat. And you got to wonder why. I mean, I don't have to wonder why because I know, but it should make you wonder what's going on. So we've been focusing on that. We talked to Ole Larson last week here down in the Matsu, one of the other incumbents who seems to be under continuing fire and pressure is Kathy McCullum. And Kathy has been kind enough to join us this morning to discuss these issues. And so we bring her on the program and say good morning to her right now. Good morning, Kathy. How are you? Good morning. I'm great. Thanks Thanks for having me here today. Well, thanks for coming on board. Uh, Like I said during the break uh, to you, 
I mean, I can count on three fingers probably the number of school board candidates prior to this year that I've ever interviewed on the show because generally it's kind of a non-confrontational thing, you know, and it, it just really didn't have a whole huge impact. But now with kind of the social engineering and things that are going on in uh, school districts around the country, all of a sudden – these have become a hot-button, hot-focused little area where you have small communities in Alaska, Fairbanks, and Kenai, and now Matsu, where outside special interests are pouring tens of thousands of dollars into these races to try and influence the young mindfuls of mush, as Rush Limbaugh used to say, that are in the school to try and, and, and foster these. And it has been an, an, a very interesting thing to watch. But before we go any further, I want to talk a little bit about you for folks who don't know you. Give me a little bit of your background, who you are, where you are, where you came from. What made you decide to jump into this madness that is politics? Although this used to not be quite that bad a deal. But, you know, tell us a little bit about yourself. Okay, well, um, I've lived in the Matsu Valley for 34 years. My husband and I moved here from Idaho um, in 1989, and I am a school teacher or was a school teacher. I'm retired. Um, I taught one year in Idaho, and my husband came home one day and said, What do you think of Alaska? And like normal Alaskans, we said, Let's do it. We just jumped in our little vehicle and drove to Alaska. And I landed here in the Matsu Valley with um, no real intention of this is where we were going to stay, but one of my relatives lived here. So we stayed and I got a job at Palmer Middle School. It was Palmer Junior High at the time and um, uh, realized pretty quickly that junior high was not where I wanted to be. So I went back to where I had been in Idaho um, teaching first grade. So I taught first grade for most of my 31 years in education. Um, working on teaching kids to read, which is where it's all about, you know, everything starts there. And um, when I retired, I got pretty active in um, local politics. You know, I am the president of the Matsu Republican Women's Club. I'm the chair of my district 26 and had never considered running for school board. It just wasn't <laughs> something that was on my agenda. And um at the time, one of the school board members was not going to run again, and it seemed like there was nobody ready to run for that seat. So I was encouraged to jump in, and and I did. And wow, <laughs> did I jump in. So. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's interesting to watch. You know, I'm often reminded of the quote that, you know, government is what happens to you when you're not paying attention, exactly. you know, and so a lot of people, they ignore the smaller things, you know, I mean, things down to like road service area commissioners or, you know, or school board members or things like that, because they, oh, that's just, you know, that'll take care. I'm more focused on oh, the national issues or something, else, you know, and they're not paying attention to what's going on in their own backyard. That's how you have places like, you know, Kenai or Matsu who are very, they're very red districts, yet their local governments are purple to blue, right? And you're like, how does that happen? How does it, how do you, it's because we're not paying attention. We're being distracted by bread and circuses. What's going on on the national stage, which we have zero impact in, uh, and we stop paying attention to what's going on locally. And I think that is, I think the the kind of the veil has been lifted. Uh, you know, what we're seeing now is more and more, again, dollars from outside interest groups going into now these local races, and they're basically saying the quiet part out loud. This is where it's important. We'll get them at the grassroots. We'll control their communities, and then we'll get what we want. And I, I think that's, that's a big part of it. Now, <clears throat> you've been on the school board. And uh, there's been 
you know, some serious controversy over the la- and not just here in Alaska. I mean, nationally, there's been controversy at the local levels. Um, you know, probably the most egregious part was in West Virginia when Terry McAuliffe told parents, you don't get to decide how to you know, educate your children. We do because we're the experts. And he immediately was booted from office because people were like they were waking up. And I think you're seeing that. I think you're seeing an awakening. And that has led to some backlash across the country, including here in the Matsu, where there's been issues that have been raised, uh, whether it's about curriculum and issues of diversity or the CRT or, uh, of course, the library books, the the, the 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 inappropriate books that are being put in children's libraries and things like that, which again, by the way, just to let me reiterate, folks, I could not read the contents of these books on the air because right. I would be I would get an FCC. Every station that's listing us right now would get an FCC fine if I read some of these books on the air. Okay, but we're going to give them to grade school and middle school kids, which is just terrifying. So all these controversies have come up. Uh, and you've been right at the heart of this storm for the last couple of years. Tell us about that experience. Yeah, so uh, actually I was just elected last November. And then because of redistricting, that's why I need to run again. And um, wow, in one year, we got right after it. We we had uh, five people were elected last fall and a real conservative group of us, uh, we decided it is time to get down to business. We started looking at these policies and just basically adding parental rights to most of them, you know, and we have had so much pushback. Um, and, and it's shocking to me. I can't understand, like I think Oli said too, that it's just common sense. We couldn't even believe we needed to add those things. But um, every policy that we looked le- looked at had some language in it that was definitely put there a few a few years ago with that real liberal left leaning type of language, like libraries would be safe spaces for kids and things like that. So we started just going through the policies and changing changing them to be more common sense type things and adding a little bit of parental rights language into each one of them. And every policy we changed, the pushback has been unbelievable. Even, even from policies that just, okay, what you will do is you will let parents know before you talk to them. If you're a counselor, like you can't just walk into a classroom and pull a child out of the classroom and say, you know, I want, I want to pull this kid into a social skills group. Um, parents need to know that. Right. And and it's crazy that we're getting pushed back on that. Well, it is. Uh, it, it is. It's astonishing. I mean, the fact that you have to talk about parental rights in a school system at all right. is astonishing. And of course, the first card they pull out when you in your example of having a counselor pull a kid out of a, a class and talk to them. Uh, but they have to inform the first card they pull out of that is, oh, but if they're in an abusive home then that we can't, oh, inform, yeah. you know, and of course, yeah. that's a very small slice. It does happen. I'm not saying it doesn't. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying it's hor- not horrific. But the fact is, is that you can't abrogate the rights of all these parents for the actions of a very, very few um, right. that are there. There are other things in place that can help those situations. But of course, that's a, immediately where they go to. And that's what we've seen. We've seen the slow but steady divestment of parental rights um, across the, you know, over the last five, six, eight years, we've seen that slowly swing to where now they they basically have got these kids, you know, 
trapped in this system and they've cut the parents almost completely out of the out of the mix and i mean i've had parents come to me and say i just don't understand what my kids are learning i don't understand you know there's an old saying don't be surprised when you send your kids to rome and they return as romans right and i used to think that that only applied to college because you know a lot of times college kids would go away with one philosophy and then they'd come back and they were like 180 degrees from the parents and they'd be like what happened well you sent him to rome now rome is the first grade classroom i mean that's you know it's crazy yeah i did not you know all the years i was teaching i did not that wasn't a thing for me. I did my classroom. I I taught my students well. I had great relationships with the families. And I had no idea that this was really going on all over. And I really believe that COVID, of course, that whole year where parents were online with kids is what woke people up. It woke me up. You know, here I was trying to do my job and then seeing all this other stuff on the side. And, um, and now... It is shocking what is yeah. going on in the schools and and that people believe, truly believe what they're doing is right. You know, so it's it's really shocking yeah. to me to see what's going on. Yeah, there are very few silver linings that came out of the pandemic. The, the One of the biggest ones, Absolutely. of course, is the people's eyes were completely open to the education industrial complex, the power of the unions and what they were doing yeah. and the fact that it wasn't all about the children, which is what they keep telling us, that it's all about the children. And instead, it turned out it was all about power, control, pay, spreading the wealth, you know, social justice in some states like California and things like that. The people eyes, they really were opened uh, in a lot of ways. Um, I want to talk. We got about a minute and a half here. I want to talk for a second about some of these hot button issues. And you're talking about the pushback that you got from the community. Mm -hmm. Now, Matsu is the reddest district in this. It's the reddest area in the state. And yet, even in the Matsu, you're getting pushback on things like parental notification, uh, right. you know, talking to them about this, you know, talking to them about their kids' gender identity before any of this stuff happens and the books. Talk talk to me about the pushback on those things specifically over the last year. Right. So, you know, one of the biggest ones, I think, is the counselor um, policy that we changed. Um I mean, they feel like they just can't even talk to a student anymore, which is absolutely not true. They just need to let parents know or get their permission to talk to their students. They can't just go, you know, pulling kids and talking to them wherever. Another one that we passed just to keep kids safe was the fact that um, parents have to be notified before a teacher or any school staff changes their name or pronouns at school. Um, So, and that one, we've had testimony against. They think that we're causing suicides. Kids are unsafe because they can't, you know, express themselves at school like they want without parents knowing. And again, that, that is truly shocking to me that, that educators would want that, you know, to leave the parents out of the loop for such an enormous event, you know? So, yeah. And, and, you know, the union thing is interesting. I, I, as a teacher, for for a long time, I was a union member because every time I checked, you know, in Idaho, it's a right to work state. So I was not a union member. When I came to Alaska and they said I had to be a union member in order to teach, 
I was shocked. I didn't understand that either. And so I, I just kind of went along with it, but I kept digging and digging. And finally, I found out that you could opt out of just the political money. You still had to pay, oh, like 600 and some dollars just for your negotiation See, um, right. from the local union. Right. <laughs> but I, I got my money back from NEA every year. Um, I didn't agree with the policies. I didn't agree with sets sending my money to basically all Democrats, you know, why would any conservative person want to just willingly give your money to be sent away to something you don't believe in? But also, I didn't believe in a lot of the policies like um, ten teacher tenure. I didn't believe in seniority and those types of things. I, I saw a lot of brand new teachers that were doing a much better job than teachers that had been teaching for many years. And then they would be the first ones to leave because of the seniority issue. So, you know, even before all this social stuff the unions are pushing, I did not agree with the teachers union, so I opted out of um, the union. And I, I'm kind of surprised that I'm not getting more pushback over that. Um, <laughs> well, it's, but, it's, yeah, this is, I mean, there's so many different issues here, and we're going to continue talking about it with right. Kathy McCollum, candidate for the Matsu Borough School District. Uh, we're going to continue our discussions in just a moment. Don't forget, you can join us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Michael Duke Show slash live if you want to jump into the chat room. It's just me and Kathy and 60 of our closest friends right now hanging out there chatting. Feel free to come out and join us. We'll return in just a moment. The Michael Duke Show. Common sense. Liberty-based. Free thing and radio. We're broadcasting live through a series of tubes. Allowing all of these entities to provide streaming stuff going on on the the, the Internet. Well, it's kind of hard to explain. Sorry. Streaming live every weekday morning on Facebook Live and MichaelDukesShow.com. We're in the break right now with Kathy McCollum Um, as we continue on this morning. um, It's, you know... Everything that we're talking about right here, Kathy, everything we're talking about right now just confirms with me that I made the right decision 25 years ago when I decided uh, early on, my wife and I decided that we were going to homeschool all our kids. And we have homeschooled five children. My <clears throat> youngest just graduated last year. We we homeschooled five children, and uh, maybe we weren't the best teachers. Maybe we could have been better and done things differently and in a better way. But every kid is happy, well-adjusted. They can do reading, writing, and arithmetic. They can accurately think. They've got critical thinking skills, um, and they have a love of learning. I mean, all my kids could read at a you know, all my kids in, in in high school could read at a college level. All my kids in grade school could read at a high school level. I mean, to me, that was the love of that kind of stuff was important. Uh, but every time I see some of these things going on, I have just confirmed my decision once more to homeschool. And that's it's kind of a sad statement because this is the majority of people are still involved in the main school system. And they're seeing this and sometimes not even knowing what's going on. No. And, you know, um, last just last night at our school board meeting talking about an enrollment um almost 17 percent or about 17 percent of all of our students in the matsu are in a homeschool program and that of course is mainly just matsu central and um, we have a twinley bridge 
charter school, I'm homeschool program as well, but it's very small. Um, that's a lot of kids in our district that belong to a homeschool program and uh, much bigger than it has ever been in the past. So, and that's, that's kids in the Valley that don't go to programs like IDEA and Raven and, right. and all kinds of other programs. Yeah, because they're so, not even counted in the Mansu no. in the Mansu no. count number. So I guarantee right. you if you can because I <clears throat> I've had conversations we we were an idea charter family. We were we were in the first batch of family. We were there when they first started with my right. oldest daughter who's now 30. Um <laughs> uh but you know they told me here uh I talked to a couple of the people there at Idea because I've got a you know we've got a long-term relationship with them and they said their enrollment um their enrollment was always steadily growing, but post pandemic, it spiked hard, like hockey stick hard, you yeah. know, like going this way and then boom, up like this, something like 35%. And so now you're talking about three, four, five, six thousand students in the Matsu in the idea yeah. program alone, not to mention yeah. Cyberlinks, not to mention Frontier, not to mention all these other. Uh, yeah. You know, schools that are district schools from other districts. So when you say 17 percent of the Matsu school district numbers are homeschooled, I guarantee you that there's well over probably a quarter, maybe even 30 percent of the students mm -hmm. in the Matsu completely are probably homeschooled. That's a huge number. And it should be a wake up call for these folks. But they just don't they just don't see yeah. it. Yeah, I, I agree. I think it should be a wake up call because um, the just the huge increase that has happened. I think it's close to 3,000 kids that are enrolled at Matsu Central now. And in the last couple of years, even, it has really expanded, even, even this school year, which is interesting because, you know, we're fairly back to normal in the public schools right. as far as, um, you know, COVID's gone. But I think the social things are getting more and more extreme and parents are pulling their kids out because of those things. Right. Well, a lot of we're them, hearing that. you know, a lot of them were told for many years, oh, you shouldn't homeschool because that's way too hard for you. You just you couldn't <laughs> handle it. You're, you don't have the education. You don't have the expertise. And then during COVID, they tried it out because, well, they were forced to in many ways. And right. they discovered, well, this wasn't as hard as I was told, right? I mean, they were told the horror stories. Yeah. Uh, and all of a sudden, they're doing better and better. Now, is the count done? Is the is the is the student count done now? Yes. Okay. It, it was it was through October. Right. So through, I mean, of course yeah. just yesterday. So we'll we'll get final numbers real soon, but um the 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 projections on that were something like, uh, I mean, a, almost a double digit decrease is what I've heard from various districts uh, as far as enrollment drop. Almost a double district, almost a double digit drop in enrollment this year is what I'm hearing from many districts around the state. I uh, think we're pretty we're staying pretty um, level. I think we were only down right. 150 kids. OK. Yeah. All right. Hold on. Let's uh, and I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt okay. you. But the ding means that we're going to rejoin the radio here. So it's my mm -hmm. warning. It's my warning to shut my mouth. All right. Here we go. <laughs> the Michael Duke Show. Common Sense Radio. The Michael Duke Show. Seriously humorous with a pinch of intellect. <laughs> pinch of intellect. Sorry. That is humorous. Here's Michael Dukes. Come on. It's a pinch. I do have big hands, so it's, but it is kind of funny. Uh, welcome back to the program, The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense Radio. Kathy McCollum is our guest candidate for the Matsu School Board. 
Uh, we're talking about school board issues, which if you told me five years ago that this would be a hot button thing, I would have told you that you were crazy. But uh, we've seen it. Uh, it's going on. Kathy, I am not as I was really paying attention to Fair, Fairbanks is my former hometown. So I was really paying attention to a lot of things up there. And up there we saw tens of thousands of dollars in a community of less than 100,000 people. Tens of thousands right. of dollars being poured into it by outside special interests, national teachers unions, Planned Parenthood, uh, different funds and everything else were pouring all these independent expenditures and door hangers and, and all this other kind of stuff. Are you seeing the same thing in the Matsu? Are you seeing a lot of this outside expenditure and independent expenditures and direct contributions to candidates coming from outside groups? Yes, absolutely. Especially, you know, our two liberal candidates on that are opposing Oli and I, um, they're receiving, of course, thousands of dollars from NEA, PACE, you know, political action committees, um, other unions. And, you know, like um, Oli's opponent is receiving money from like the president of the Anchorage school boards. Um, you know, just a lot of real political activist type people. And it's and Forrest Dunbar, even, you right, know, right. so they have a reason that they want um, a more liberal person put on the school board. And they're really, really pushing hard um, for Diane Scheib, who is the union president, the former union president. Oh, no, no. I heard I heard she's totally oh. conservative. That's what I heard. I heard she's oh, totally yeah. conservative. <laughs> yeah, no, that's that's absolutely not true at I all. I... And um, of course, we know she fought to keep the schools closed during COVID. She wanted those schools closed, all kinds of issues, the social things. She won't answer any questions about whether, you know, boys should play in girls sports. Boys should use girls bathrooms. She will not answer those questions. And so if people think she's conservative, they are really being fooled. Yeah. Well, so, I mean, she's walking around telling people that that's yeah. the ironic thing is yeah. she's telling people that and then mm -hmm. absolutely refusing to answer some of these questions that are important to people. I'm hoping that people see through that. I'm hoping that uh, being that there's a huge amount of special interest behind her that she doesn't, you know, that the special interest doesn't win in this case, but you know, you, yeah. we don't, a lot of money. I think she has close to over forty thousand dollars in yeah. her, you know. Yeah, most and recent apoc. So she, she's outraised Ole almost four to one at this point. Mm -hmm. And is it, in your race, has it been quite as bad in your race? Or uh, yeah, well, it's pretty nasty. But um, I don't know. My opponent is as far left as you can get, and she does not try to hide it. So in that way, I'm I'm in a better better situation because the difference is so stark. Right. She is a complete supporter of the LGBTQ whatever rights. She um, she's done some really crazy things, like donated to the Trevor Project in people's names who comment on her pages, um, and then posted even the receipt. Then if people don't know what the Trevor Project is, that is a group that encourages children to have secret conversations with adults. And it is, it, you know, to encourage the whole transgender um, thing. It was, it was set up by that guy that was stealing luggage at the airport and worked for the right right the, Biden administration. the, the cross yeah. yeah the cross dresser that yeah. worked for the biden administration yeah, yeah. um yes. you know and, and this is insane because you know our most you know it's 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 cliche but our most precious 
resource is our children. Our most precious, as parents, our most precious possession is our children. It's the thing that we do that leaves the most lasting impact on the world uh, for 99.9% of us uh, is our children. And the fact that you have a group of people, and this has been my contention, and you can comment on this if you'd like, but my contention is they're basically showing their hand in that they are suffering from what I like to call the politician's disease, which is that they believe that they know better than you how you should blank. And in this case, it would be raise our children. They believe that they know better than us how to raise our children. And by the way, we're surprised when all this stuff comes out, even though we send our children to spend six, seven hours a day with these people every day. And we're surprised. Uh, But they have there's an agenda there. There is an agenda to basically undermine parental authority um, in many cases. There's I'm sure there's lots of teachers like you who are good teachers who just wanted to teach the kids, you know, but the problem is, is that they're they're silent. They don't want to say anything. They don't want to rock the boat. They don't want to, you know, they, they don't want to do those things or make right. waves or, you know, they feel no, they feel powerless on this situation. And so those that have this feeling that they know better than you how to raise your children are the ones that are making all the headway. Right. And that is that is something that I talk to teachers about a lot because I do know a lot of conservative teachers and I say you have to start speaking out. You, you need to start speaking up. Maybe you even need to get together and form a kind of a coalition because out here in the Valley, there are a lot of conservative teachers and um, they're just quiet. Like you said, they put their heads down, they do their jobs. And um, as a first grade teacher, all those years, I actually thought to myself many times um, that I had students in my classroom that their parent had never even come in to meet me. And, and that was shocking too. Right. You know, when with them six hours a day and they don't even know who you are. Right. And of course I had lots of parents that I had really great relationships and even became friends with over the years um, who, who made an effort to meet the teacher, know the teacher, you know, and spend time in the classroom even. And that's, you know, if you have your, children in public school, you really should think about that, you know, get in there and know that teacher well, you know, and we know that parental involvement is key to Mm -hmm. education, right? We knew that in the educational outcomes of students, parental involvement is imperative, but we also know that there's always going to be a slice of the population that essentially utilizes school as a daycare and they don't really pay attention. And as long, you know, it, it, People are people. You're not going to be able to fix all that. You're not going to be able to change the behavior of many of these people, maybe because that's the way they were raised or whatever. But but the bottom line is, is that parental involvement is 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 important. But see, I think that these people have leveraged that um, in action and leveraged that, uh, you know, uh, 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 apathy, essentially, for their own good at this point, for their own personal philosophies. Looks like we lost Kathy there for a second. We're going to see if we can get her back here uh, in just a moment. Uh, Kathy McCollum is our guest uh, here on the Michael Duke Show. Uh, We are going to continue here. Uh, We are not close enough to the break to go yet. If you want to find out more about Kathy, you can go over to kathyforschoolboard.com. kathyforschoolboard.com. And uh, find out uh, everything that you need to know for her and and everything else. So we're going to uh, continue with her here in uh, just a just a hot second. Kathy McCollum, uh, our guest on the program here and on the Michael Duke Show 
uh, we're close enough. We're gonna we're gonna take a uh, we're gonna take a quick break, and when we return, we'll continue with Kathy McCollum. Don't go anywhere. Appreciate you coming in and joining us. Coming up tomorrow on the program, Jacob Sullum from Reason Magazine is going to be joining us. Uh, and we're going to continue in just a second. Common Sense, Liberty-based, free-thinking radio. It is The Michael Duke Show. Back with more you know right, that, after, the... right after this message. <laughs> don't, don't go anywhere. Our light, our guide, and our trusted friend. Well, that was a hot brown chocolate mess right there. That's what that was. Um, thank you, GCI. Thank you, GCI. Hi, Terry. Uh, I apparently my uh, uh, my. I think we're having some technical difficulties. There we go. Sorry about okay, that. There we go. That was I was just gonna say that was a that was a hot brown chocolate mess right there. I don't know exactly I, I think I was ready to run the show. Yeah, you were going. You were going. Feel free to keep going at that point. Yeah, no, uh I don't know what happened, but uh I apparently lost connection to everything for a hot minute. But I was still on the radio, so I was Oh, okay, good. I was I was filling on the radio and I took us to commercial break so that we could come back. But uh yeah, no, that was a that was a mess. Um, just, it's just one of those, one of those things, you know, this happens occasionally and GCI, you know, God love them. They just can't seem to get their poop in a group here. Um, <laughs> all right. Um, yeah, yeah, exactly. Anthony says it's your show now, Kathy. Welcome to the, yeah. hey, welcome to the Kathy show. Uh, all right. So my question to you was before we were so rudely interrupted by technology was about the um, basically the opportunism that these people saw in the inaction of parents. And so we'll get back to that here right. in, in just a moment and we'll uh, be with that. Um, both Terry and David wanted you to talk about FERPA, um, and uh, which, of course, is the federal requirements for parents to be notified of things that are happening in their kids and that they have to have access to all their children's records and things like that. Yeah. And I think that's a thing that people are starting to get educated about. So give me give me some details on that for a second here. Right. Well, yeah, um, I just I. I have not dug deep into that. I just know that parents have the right and have had the rights to look at curriculum, to be notified. If you know, a lot of that though, the problem is it's opt it's opt out of programs. You know that for um, you know sex ed type things, we changed it in our district to opt in, which is another thing that oh boy. Um, they're acting like it's way too much time. Oh, they can't get oh, that organized. Yeah. Um, but, but what happens is in the past when it was opt out, I mean, I have a friend who had, had an opt out and her son came home and had gone through two days of the class already, even though she signed out, signed the opt out. So um, we're trying to, we're trying to stop that. Um, but yeah, parents do have uh, rights to all records, access to all curriculum. Right. And um you know, that should be the 
the norm. Yeah. So. Well, it's uh, it's frustrating uh, that more uh, that more parents, like you said earlier, it's frustrating that more parents aren't involved in what's going on. Uh, mm-hmm. But at the same time, you know, I don't know how much more outreach. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what the difference would. I don't know how to fix that. Okay. Right. If, parents are starting to realize that. I yeah, think. I yeah. Think that you know parents are starting to figure out that they do have more rights or, or they just you know like you said they just kind of went about their business and didn't really realize um how bad it was well, and they now trust, they're they now trust, they're realizing it yeah they trusted right? the system right i mean they trusted yeah. the system that's what yeah. i think a lot of parents were too trusting in the system and believed mm-hmm. that everybody had the kids best interests at heart and that the parents were still in charge and all this kind of stuff and the covid and many of these other things that have been going on opened many of their eyes to the fact that, well, this is not as benign as we thought it was. This is not as helpful as we thought it was. And uh, it's, it's, uh, it's crazy. Somebody just said, I want to know what the knickknack is on our windowsill. It looks like a fish. It's a, it's oh, a t- yeah, it's a fish from uh, Mexico. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's one of those little carved wooden fish. It's yeah. a fish, okay. We always got people who are critiquing people's background. It's, oh, yeah. it's, it's hysterical. <laughs> had my last guest on in California, and he had a, he had a window uh, shade behind him, a, a, a curtain that was kind of weird. It was very 70s. It's kind of California-ish, you know. And yeah. They're like, what, did you steal it from the Brady house? We have a very, <laughs> we have a bunch of interior designers here on the program. They love right, to critique right, the rooms right. that are well, going on. They're probably interested in all my knickknacks. Yeah. I've got all kinds yeah. of crazy things. Well, that's that's why I have this blue behind me, because I mean, who, yeah. who cares what's behind? There's nothing behind me, so it's all good. Right. Um, right. All right. Uh, yeah, the opt-in, opt-out thing is amazing. It's amazing that anybody would fight that, uh, because to me- I, um, the fact that they automatically want to opt everybody in to begin with shows me that maybe that they have something to hide. That's a practice that's been banned in by the federal government in many businesses. Remember, you used to have all these long distance charges and everything else. And AT&T got banged on this many, many yeah. 25 years ago. They would automatically opt customers in for these charges. And the federal government came back and spanked them because they said this is deceptive practices. This is the same kind of thing. You can't just opt people in on that. Right. And it's the same thing as the union. It's the same thing that we're fighting. You know, um, that's what the Janus decision was all about. But we are still fighting that where teachers should have to. I I feel like teachers should have to opt in every single year. Yep. And, and I do appreciate. Oh, there's the bell. But got 30 I appreciate seconds. Kevin McCabe's bill that would that would have teachers have to pay their dues themselves instead of having the school district deduct them from their checks. I agree. I agree Mm -hmm. totally. That should be an opt. That should Mm -hmm. be an opt in or opt. That should be an opt out situation. All right. um, We're going to jump back in. Hopefully we don't crash again today. Fingers crossed. I don't know what's going on. Back with more. Kathy McCollum, our guest, The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense, Liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Like, share, follow on everywhere. You can like, you could share it from wherever. Let's, let's go. Okay, we're back. Uh, Kathy McCollum is our guest. She did rejoin us. It wasn't her; it was me, apparently. So it was she was she was going on and on with the chat room and with the people there. They were all they were all loving her. Uh, we just lost her for the radio there for a second, but she's back with us now. Kathy McCollum, final segment of the show for this morning. 
Uh, Kathy, all these issues uh, that we've talked about, uh, you know, the the opt-in, the gender stuff, the curriculum, the books, which we really haven't talked about much other than yeah. the, other than the fact that most of these books couldn't be read on a FCC-regulated radio yeah. station, which ought to tell you something. If you would be uncomfortable listening to me read it over the airwaves, why would you be comfortable with your children reading it without your supervision or without your consent? I mean, that's that's my question. Right. But this I, is I think people don't really is the type of books we're actually talking about. No, I, no. I, say. I had someone tell me that they thought we were banning Charlotte's Web. Yeah. I mean, yeah, this is the, the mistake that people are um, leaning towards. They don't they don't they need to look at some of these books and I think they would be shocked. Well, I mean, again, yeah, because, well, the verbiage, I mean, the, the, the they've taken control of the narrative and the fact that they think that you guys are burning books, right? Banning books, <laughs> burning books. No more to kill a mockingbird. No more of mice and men. Yeah. No more of Steinbeck or, or, you know, the end of the sidewalk or some of these books that have been around for decades. No, no. We're talking about books. I mean, I read a segment of the book on the air and had to edit myself a little bit as I read it. And yeah. it made me uncomfortable to read it on the air. Uh, you know, even they, even yeah. editing a few words out uh, and changing some things and people were flabbergasted. That's the thing you don't understand. And if they want to shovel that stuff towards our children, again, it just shows that they believe that they know better than you, that they have an agenda that they want to I mean, I don't know how else to put it. They want to corrupt the chi- they want to corrupt the children into yeah. their mindset and their lifestyle. Um, right, Kathy. I I, uh, I want to say this, and and uh, because I've come to this conclusion, like I said previously, school board races were not a big deal. I mean, it was like you know, to me, it was a, it was below the radar of my really attention span. Um, but historically, school boards were supposed to be made up of concerned parents who were trying to organize, drive, and orchestrate and have some control over what was going on in their schools. That's what school boards were supposed to be. What has happened over the last 10 or 15 years is that the school boards have been infiltrated, not by parents. Now, some of them may still be parents, but more often than not, they are filled with people who are part of the education industrial complex, part of the education industry, right? You've got teachers, Union people, uh, administrators, most of these organizations now seem to be made up primary in Fairbanks now. In fact, for example, Melissa Burnett is the only just mom on the entire school board. The rest of them are teachers, union members, uh, administrators or all three. Right. That's what's right. going. So it seems like the chickens, you know, the foxes have gotten control of the hen house and they're like, no, no, we're going to control all this because we know better than you. And it all benefits our interests of what we're doing here. Am I, do you think I'm wrong on that? Or are you saying oh, that no. yourself? You are so right. And I hear, um, you know, on our school board in the Matsu right now, we we are a very conservative school board, six, six conservatives and one not conservative, I would say. But um, we have parents, we have people who homeschool their children. We have a nice variety of people right now. Um, I really am the only educator on the board. And, and, um, it is kind of nice to have one person that can kind of say, you know what, what the administration is telling us is not what's really happening, you know, because I've been out there. So that's a good right. thing. But these boards that are run by um, just all union members and all educators, and I've been hearing that here, even people saying in comments on Facebook and such like that, that um, more teachers should be on the board, more students should be on the board. And it's, do they not see that that would be, 
you know, the fox running the hen house. And they they don't understand that. They really believe that the teachers should be running the school board. They don't understand even what a school board is, I think. So, and right. it is supposed to be community members and parents and people. It's, it, it is not, we know best, right. like you said. Well, and mm-hmm. this, this push about getting students as voting members on a board, oh, getting kids. Yeah. I mean, kids can't go buy cigarettes, alcohol, guns, or get a tattoo uh, before they're right. of, of majority age, and yet you want them to be voting on policies that affect all your kids. They don't yeah. have the life experience to understand those things, and it's just this right. push. It's a complete it's a complete snow job. It's a complete propaganda campaign that they're mm-hmm. pushing. Mm-hmm. We saw the MSEA, uh, their ballot that came out with the vote of no confidence against the school board and the superintendent and everything else trying to influence the election. The student walkout, again, the useful mindfuls of mush that are out there that just decided, oh, we'll do. I mean, they're being used. The kids are being used in these areas and, and, and everything yeah. else. Um, but this is this is a you know this is an important thing, and and I guess I will say this: this is my position, and I don't, you don't have to comment on it if you want. Here's what my argument has been, Kathy: I believe we need to fix the school system in America. This is a this is a nationwide problem. We can't keep producing. You know, we're in the middle of the pack in the you know around the world globally on our education. Here in Alaska, we're at the bottom of the pack, fiftieth percentile, forty eighth, forty ninth, fiftieth percentile. Um, we've got to admit that something's fundamentally broken, and we're not willing to do that. So while I want to fix it, you know, and have this battle, this duke it out cultural battle, um, I don't want my kids to be in the middle of the battlefield. While I'm doing that. So I'm recommending that parents pull their kids out of public schools and do something different. Charter school, homeschool, learning pod, teacher share, whatever they need to do while they're fighting this battle. They shouldn't be waging the war while their children are in the middle of all this stuff. Um, and that's just my take on it. I think, and it, and besides that, it has the fringe benefit of then decreasing the amount of money and funds and children available for these people to continue to try and manipulate and benefit from. Um, and that's, that's where I'm at these days. Right. Yeah. It is a real challenge for us to try to fix this system. I mean, it, it feels sometimes like it's almost impossible, like you say. And I admire parents that can pull their kids out and use the homeschool. I have many friends that do, and their children are fantastic and well-educated and um, successful. And um, so it is difficult sitting there on the school board thinking, how can we fix this problem? You know, the whole overall problem, let alone, you know, um, the money that's spent and... right. Well, you know, there's so many issues. Then let's ask this question. Uh, is you if you you know, if you're reelected and you continue on school board, what are going to be your priorities moving forward as a school board member in looking at all these issues, seeing that it's not just state, it's not just local, it's national, but all these other issues. What are what are the things that you're going to focus on moving forward as a school board member? What would be your hit list, so to speak? Well, my hit list definitely would be getting teachers just back to the teaching of the basic things they need to teach. I I have a serious issue with all the huge focus on SEL and um, social programs and counseling. And I mean, it feels almost like the swap has gone so far to um, emotional teaching instead of academic teaching. And I know teachers complain about um, the behavior that they're seeing with students and things like that, but I say, focus on the education part of it get down to business and quit all the fluff stuff and it can happen. 
you know, so that's, that's a big part of it. And then really, um, really finding out really where all of the money is definitely going. We have a lot of budget issues all the time, although the Matsu does better than most. Um, we need to look at that. I see, I think that we're really heavy administration, yeah. like um, a lot of places all around are. And I think we got heavier during COVID because we had all that COVID relief money um, coming in. And so we're going to have to start streamlining things like that. So shouldn't we mandate? Looking at. Yeah. Shouldn't we mandate that a certain percentage of all funds go directly into the classroom? And shouldn't it Absolutely. be? And shouldn't it be? the lion's share? Shouldn't it be the majority? Shouldn't it be well over north of 50, 55% of all dollars go directly into the classroom? Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. And you know, there's so many administrative positions around the district. You think, are those people, should they just be in classrooms and we could have lower PTR if we started putting those people back in classrooms instead of just managing all of the stuff that's going on, you know, and teachers just want to teach. They just want to teach in their classroom and. Um, and that's what I'm hearing from a lot of my very effective teachers. Like, let us just do our jobs and stop all the other side stuff. Yeah. Or mm -hmm. else we're going to end up like Oregon, where they just basically eliminated the right. requirement to have proficiency in reading, writing, and arithmetic uh, for graduation. They just eliminated right. that. Why? Right. Because they couldn't hit the numbers. They couldn't hit it. So they just eliminated it. We just I'll, won't, we don't care anymore about yeah, that because I, that's not, not something we can reach. Yeah. Right? Well, I mean, and look at the statistics in the state of Alaska. When Sarah Palin was governor, we had a 73% graduation rate. We right. now have like a 76%, which is better. Don't get me wrong, but that still right. means that one in four students fail. They don't graduate. And even those that do graduate over 60% of them, require remedial education to be able to take 100 level classes in college, the most basic classes in college. That's those that right. even bother to go to college. And so what, yeah. what kind of product are we producing? That's right. Yeah. In the Matsu, we're definitely doing better than the rest of the state. I think um, like our graduation rate, we just, we just received that information and we were at, I think it was 83%. So, and we've made improvements definitely in that area. And also, um, you know, our reading math scores are a little higher, still not good. Even the superintendent admits they are not where yep. they need to be. And um, we're trying really hard to improve those things, but we need to get focused on improving the, that's, that. That's where you have to focus. I mean, even 83% is essentially one in five fails, right? Right. So, I mean, that even that, we, we've gotten so far away from re the three R's, Right. The basics, mm -hmm. let alone the triumvirate of logic, rhetoric and reason and teaching analytical thinking and the love of learning to kids. That seems to have gone out the window where, again, as you said, talking about how they feel, we're teaching them about how right. they feel instead the of feelings. saying, you know, screw your feelings. Let's talk about how to read. Let's talk about writing. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about, you know, expressing yourself and analyzing things and having logic and accurate thought. I mean, these are things, again, this is why I homeschooled all my kids, because I could see that mm -hmm. that was going out the window 25 years ago. And now right. here we are today. Um, right. Last three minutes here, Kathy, give us the biggest differences between you and your opponent. Uh, and then we'll do a summation there at the end. So give me the, the biggest, okay. you know, if people wanted to vote for, uh, here's the di biggest differences between me and my opponent. Give us two or three and then we'll move on to the summation. Okay. Well, my opponent definitely is a supporter of LGBTQ rights, very focused on that issue, in fact. And um, I'm a conservative fiscal responsible. Um, I 
I believe in just getting back to the basics of education. I would like to focus on reading, math, writing, history, and and move along where our students need to be. You know, I, these these programs that you talk about that people use in homeschool, there is no reason they can't be used in public schools as well. Like I was a serious fan of Saxon math, Spalding phonics, and we always want the fancier stuff, you know, and all it does is frustrate teachers actually when they keep switching from program to program. But um, my opponent is very young. She's um, She doesn't have much life experience other than um, kind of an activist, I guess, is right. what I'd say. She so, has a cause, and that's what she's pushing is right. the cause, not the education of children. It's exactly. the it's the it's the fulfillment or the furtherance of a philosophy rather than what the the kids are doing. Yes. Um, which is again, it's frustrating, and and I I continually ask myself why would a parent continue to allow their children to be subjected to that? Um, mm-hmm. While it is what it is, why wouldn't you? sacrifice whatever it took to bring your kids home or to another situation that they right. could get that they could get properly educated. I mean, this is again something that's going to affect them their whole life. No wonder kids are <clears throat> so messed up in so many ways uh th- these days. It's it's astonishing. Right. All right. And there are some really great charter schools, I will say that too. There's yeah. there's a few really great charter schools in the valley that have huge waiting lists. Which yeah. I'd like to see that um, that proves something right there. The fact that they right. have huge waiting lists should say something. That's a supply that's and right. demand thing. We should be doing more of that. Charters, exactly. uh, you know, again, learning pods. Teacher, I'm surprised more of these teachers just don't retire and then share themselves out as a teacher share program. You could exactly. make a, you could make a lot of money as a teacher doing that in your spare time if you invested a little bit in your own personal classroom. All right, less yep. than less than sixty seconds, Kathy McCollum. How do folks find out about you? Where do they go? What do they need to do? Uh, how do they support you quickly? Well, thank you. And I see that somebody posted you did. Kathy for schoolboard.com is my web page. And um, I encourage anybody to reach out to me. I, I see that you had a problem reaching me through my website, and I've had a lot of issues with that. So people just um, can reach me at my school board email as well. It's on the Matt Subaru School Board um, website. And um, I love to hear from people. I, I want to know what people think. I have had many conversations with your chat room followers, so okay. I appreciate that. Well, good. Well, I, I still have been a long time listener, so. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. Thank you for coming in. Hold the yes. line. Folks, we're out okay. of time for today. Tomorrow's Firearms Friday, The Michael Duke Show. All right. I give you the final bite. You know, you know how this works. If you watch the show, yeah. you know how this works. This is the final bite at the apple. Anything I didn't cover, right. any topics I didn't hit on, any hot buttons. You want to rant for two minutes, whatever it is. Give us. <laughs> I give you the floor. Well, I, give you the I, floor I just here. appreciate being on the show this morning. It really, it was fun, and I, I love to talk. Um, I could talk for a whole show about the teachers' union, of course, because that's. Um, that's kind of a been a hot button issue for me. Even while I was teaching, I worked really hard to help other people realize how to opt out of the union and realize that the the benefits of um, the union weren't there. I mean, if you want to just teach and do your job, you don't need to pay thirteen hundred dollars to a club, you know, right. that fights against what you believe, basically. Right. So they they scare teachers. They make teachers believe that they'll have no liability insurance if they don't belong to the teachers union. And of course, that scares a lot of brand new teachers. So, yeah, um, well, teachers need support 
to realize they don't they don't need that to be a good teacher. So I, I think, you know, Kathy, you could be held up as an example. As I said before, I am sure that there are many great teachers in every school district. Right. right. I mean, I'm sure we don't, I don't I, I try never to vilify the teachers in a lot of right. these cases because there are bad teachers, I'm sure. But there, I'm sure that there's a lot of good teachers. The problem is much like my example is the problem in law enforcement. There's plenty of great cops. Uh, they just yep. don't talk about the bad cops. Right. The same kind yep. of thing in the school system. If they don't stand up and take a stance on this and say, no, we need to be teaching them how to read, how to write, how to do math. That's the important part. If they don't stand up, they're going to continue to get steamrolled. I know it's scary. I know you're talking yeah. about careers. I know that, you know, that's a challenge. But at some point, you got to put up or shut up. And that's you, right. You got to get it done. Teachers have a hard time doing that. They're kind of rule followers themselves, typically. I was kind of a rebel. <laughs> Well, if you know me, you know that I don't follow the rules hardly at all, yeah. <laughs> uh, because I just I'm contrary in that uh, in that respect. But right. I, I, you know, I think that is probably the best thing is that you've got to get not only do you have to get parental involvement, which is happening, I think more and more, like you said, people are waking up. But I think the teachers themselves, especially the good ones that just want to teach, that just want to help the kids, yeah. that are not about all this other philosophy and social engineering and all this other stuff, especially for the who's who's teaching who's teaching social engineering stuff, gender identity and all this stuff to kids who are, you know, five to 10, 12, 13 years old. I mean, what teach these right. kids the basics. But see, they know, yeah. again, this seems more insidious. I mean, it really kind of is more insidious, is that they know that if they can get them that young, that then they can have them for the rest of their school yeah. career in their lives. And that yeah, confusing kids. It's 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 horrific. It's mm -hmm. absolutely horrific. So it hopefully is. by your example, more more teachers will stand up, more parents will stand up. Um, and I just think of kind of the Matsu as the kind of the last bastion of freedom here in the state. I just watched Fairbanks right. school board go all blue. And, oh, I was so disappointed yeah, in that. <laughs> yeah, and even down in the even down in the Kenai, which is very red, mm -hmm. same kind of thing. Still, that kind of that trend towards the purple blue side. We've mm -hmm. got to wake up. A and, lot of outside money, though. Yeah. Oh yeah, well A we got we got to mm -hmm. stop being the silent majority. That's right. the thing. We got to stop being the silent majority. We need to be silent no more essentially right. is what needs to happen well i wish you the best of luck and Thank you. um and uh, is it district I, this is something i should ask actually school boards are they districted right around the district uh yes or, or are they at yes large? i'm district three i should have i should yeah. have said that i am district three which is kind of the fairview loop and um out onto the parks highway the ranch neighborhood it's a big district as uh, they all are in the in the valley here but um yeah, District Three. Yeah. So. Well, you you still you have my vote. Um, that's what I see. Thank you. We need we need more people out there. I believe that I'm I'm part of Fairview Loop KGB out towards the parks. Oh, awesome! Stuff. Great. So uh, you have my vote, and uh, we hope that uh, we hope that oh, you, your you continue on. Uh, it's all we could say. <laughs> Kathy McCollum, yeah. thank you so much for being here today. Thanks. It. I'd love to come back sometime okay. too. Well, we'd love to have you back. If you ever get anything hot button, feel free. If you want to call okay. us, if you want to call us after the election and explain the whole student representative oh, thing to us, we could, do, yeah. we could do that as well. All yeah, right, we Kat didn't really even talk about that walkout. <laughs> yeah, no. Well, again. The, I heard you yesterday, though. That was excellent. <laughs> I lost my mind a little bit. All right. Thank <laughs> I loved you. it. Thank you, Kathy. I'll talk to you again soon. Thank you. Thank bye you bye. so much.
All right, folks, uh, that means we are out of time. Tomorrow on the program, Jacob Sullum from Reason Magazine joins us. We're going to be talking about St. Benitez. That's Judge Benitez in California and how his decision may stand even against the Ninth Circuit en banc panel. It should be an interesting discussion. Plus, Willie Waffle and more. That's Firearms Friday tomorrow. Thank you, my friends. We'll see you. Have a great day. shed our terrestrial radio skin and now we are slimy lizard internet people it's the michael duke show